0: We Are One Body Audio Theater presents Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. Episode 1 Marley's Ghost.
1: Marley was dead. There was no doubt about that. His death certificate was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, and the undertaker. Even Scrooge signed it. Oh yes, Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. They were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole mourner. Walk with me and I'll show you something that will interest you. See that sign there? Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. It's been years, but it's still there. Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people who were new to the business called Scrooge by Marley's name. He answered to both. It was all the same to him. are you cold? Let's walk a bit more, around the block perhaps. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted old gentleman, Scrooge was. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Heat and cold had little influence on him. No warmth could warm him, and no cold could chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he, and no falling snow more intent upon its purpose. No one ever stopped him in the street to say, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? Beggars and children ran from him. And even the blind man's dog, when it saw Scrooge coming on, would tug its owner toward the other side of the street to get away from him. To edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning off all human sympathy, was Scrooge's bread and butter. Ah, here we are again at the door of Scrooge's warehouse. And look, there he is inside.
2: Ah, Cratchit. Merry Christmas, my good man. Oh, a, a Merry Christmas to you, sir. And a Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge. God save you. Bah, humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, surely? I do. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's
3: Christmas time to you or me but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? A time for balancing your books and finding your savings smaller than the year before. If I had my will, every idiot who goes around with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a steak of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then.
2: Much good may it do you. Many things do me good, but earn me no profit. Christmas, I dare say, among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were fellow travelers to the grave. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good, and will do me good, and I say God bless Christmas. Hear, hear. Let
3: me hear another sound from you, Cratchit, and you'll keep Christmas by losing
2: your job. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. I'll see you in hell first. But why, Uncle? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. Good afternoon. Nay, hey, Uncle. You never came to see me before I was married. You can't give that as your reason for not coming now. Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. <sighs> I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. But I have asked you an homage to Christmas. And I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon! And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon! Pardon me. Oh, pardon me. Oh, pardon me. And Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas! Ah, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley?
3: Mr. Marley died seven years ago on this very
2: night. Ah. Uh. M- Mr. Scrooge, then. Mr. Scrooge, at this festive season of the year, it is more than usually desirable
4: that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are
3: there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. Are
2: there no workhouses? There are. But under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the unoffending multitude, a number of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time when want is keenly felt. Well, what should we put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous?
3: I wish to be left alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the prisons and workhouses. They cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there.
4: Many can't go there. Uh,
3: And many would rather die. If they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. (gasps) Oh, my. Well, I see how you feel. If you can say he feels anything. Good afternoon. And I'll thank you to stop wasting my time. Fine. Well, good afternoon. I suppose you'll want the whole day off tomorrow, eh? <coughs> if, if quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to dock your wages, half a crown for it, you'd think yourself mighty ill-used I'll be bound. Y- yes, sir. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay you a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. I I will, sir. Thank you, sir. Bah humbug.
1: After Cratchit left, Scrooge closed up his counting house and began his weary walk home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner, They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of buildings on a dark street. Now you must know that there was nothing at all peculiar about the knocker on the door of his house, except that it was very large. Scrooge had seen it every day for all the years he had resided in that place, and Scrooge had as little imagination as any man in the city of London. And yet Scrooge placing his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker the very image of Marley's face. Marley? It was Marley's face, but it had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. Marley? It was not an angry or ferocious face, but it looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles perched upon its ghostly forehead. Marley. As Scrooge stared at this phenomenon, suddenly, his knocker was nothing but a knocker again.
3: Ah, oh,
1: Scrooge fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs. He walked slowly, too, trimming his candle as he went. Up Scrooge went, not caring a button for the dark. Darkness is cheap, and so Scrooge liked it. But before he shut the door at the top of the stairs he walked through every room to see that nothing was amiss. He had just enough recollection of the face in the knocker to desire to check. The sitting room, the dining room, the bedroom, all were as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody behind the door. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in. In fact, he double locked himself in, which was not his usual custom. Thus, secured against surprise, he took off his jacket, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the very low fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a disused bell that hung in the room. It had communicated, for some purpose now long forgotten, with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange, inexplicable dread that, as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. Soon, it rang loudly, and in a minute, so did every other bell in the house. This was succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain slowly through the cellar. Suddenly, the noise grew louder. It was on the floor below. Then it was coming up the stairs. Then it was coming straight toward his door. The noise came straight through the heavy door, and a specter passed into the room before his very eyes. It was the same face that Scrooge had seen on the knocker. There were the familiar hair, jacket, trousers, and boots. The thing's body was transparent so that Scrooge could see right through him to the wall behind. It was Marley, just as Scrooge had last seen him. But though Scrooge looked the phantom through and through and saw it standing before him, he was incredulous. Yes, even though he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and noticed the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about its head and chin. Now,
3: now, what do you want with me?
1: Much.
4: Who are you? Ask me who I
2: was.
4: Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can... can can you sit down? I can. Do it, then. You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond your own senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses?
3: Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them confused. You may be an undigested bit of beef, blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. (laughs) There's more of gravy than of the grave about you, whatever you are. I see. Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Well, why do spirits walk the earth? Why do they come to me?
4: It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Hear me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. And now, weary journeys lie before me.
3: Seven years dead and traveling all the time? To you travel fast?
4: On the wings of the wind.
3: You might have covered a lot of ground in seven years. Oh, blind
4: man, blind man. Not to know that no amount of regret can make amends for a life's opportunities missed. Yet I was like that man. I once was like this man.
3: But you were always a good man of business, Jacob.
4: Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence. These were all my business. The dealings of my trade. But a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Jacob, please, don't speak so. Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I will, but don't be hard upon me, Jacob, I pray you. I am here tonight to warn you that you may yet have a chance and hope of escaping my fate.
3: You were always a good friend to me.
4: Thank you, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits.
3: Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? I,
4: I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. But, but I... Oh. Expect the first spirit tonight when the bell tolls one. Expect the second when the bell tolls two. The third will come when the stroke of three has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and for your own sake remember what has passed between us.
1: Marley walked backward, away from Scrooge. And at every step he took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the apparition reached it, it was wide open. Marley beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped, not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear. For as Marley raised his hand, Scrooge became sensible of confused noises in the air. Incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory... Marley, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge stepped right up to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge during their lives. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white jacket with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with them all was that they sought to do good for living human beings and had lost the power to do so. Whether these creatures faded into the mist or the mist enshrouded them, Scrooge could not tell. But they and their spirit voices disappeared altogether and the night became quiet again. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was still double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being much in need of repose, whether from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, he went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant.
0: That was Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Episode 1. Marley's Ghost. Adapted for audio by and Darkey. Directed by Gretelin Darkey and John Watechko, and produced by Thomas Marincheck. The cast, in order of appearance, was Dennis Jers as the narrator, Peter Watechko Jr. as Fred, Albert Sines as Bob Cratchit, Paul Guggenheimer as Ebenezer Scrooge, Ed McKinnon as the first charitable person, Erica Lear as the second charitable person, and Paul Fox as Jacob Marley. Our audio technicians were Joseph Adams, Jacob Gorsuch, and Thomas Marinchak. Foley and sound design by Joseph Adams and Jacob Gorsuch. The music was composed by Gretel and Darkey and mastered by Joseph Adams. This audio adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is a production of We Are One Body Audio Theatre.